Shall we pray? Dear Lord, make me a nail upon the wall, fasten securely in its place. Then from this thing so common and so small, hang a bright picture of thy face. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of this, our study, is The Seal of Love. And we would like you to notice seven great Bible facts. The first fact revolves around the word seal. And the text of Scripture is Revelation chapter 7, verse 3. The second word is victory. And the text is Revelation 15, verse 2. The third point that we want to bring out revolves around the word law. And the text is Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. The fourth point revolves around the word love. And the text is John 14, verse 15. The first the fifth point we wish to bring out revolves around the word, the words, banner of love. And the texts are Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 4, and 1 John, chapter 4, verse 8. The sixth point we would like to discuss revolves around the words, love hearts. And the text is Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 26. And the seventh point will revolve around the words, Christ's invitation. And the text is, Ma uh, is Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Number one, God has said that there is to be a great message that will go to the world called the sealing message. In Revelation 7, verse 3, he said, there's an angel or a message that will go to the world placing the seal of God on his people. This people that receive the seal of God are pictured again in Revelation chapter 15, verse 2. It says they have overcome the beast and his mark and his image and his number, which shows that the seal of love is opposite to the mark of the beast principle. This seal of love, point three, is connected with God's Ten Commandment law. The fourth commandment found in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11, contains the seal of God. A seal contains the name and the office and the territory of the one who has done the law. God's name is God. His title is Creator. The territory is the heaven and the earth. This is found in God's fourth commandment. This is the love seal. And that brings us to point four. 
Why is the fourth commandment God's love seal and not merely a legalistic seal? We read in 1 John 4, 8, it is because God is love. Since God is love, his government is love, therefore his banner must be love. And that is point five. He brought me into his banqueting house and his banner over me was love because God is love. So here we have the holy seal of God's holy law representing his love. Not a pressure method except as love pressures individuals. How is this accomplished? Point six, Ezekiel 36, 26 says, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. I'll give you a heart of flesh. Only as our creator gives us new hearts do we receive love hearts. Therefore, when the fourth commandment is dealing with my creator and your creator, it is stating in effect, this is the only way that you can have the right attitude toward God or your fellow human beings. This is why Jesus extends the invitation. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. I'd like to share with you two or three examples of what happens to a human being when this love of Jesus Christ fills his heart and saturates his thinking. I think of that young man in one of our schools where we conducted a series of meetings. He was considered a very careless individual. Nobody thought he had a serious religious thought. But after our about, uh, about our third or fourth meeting, he came into the study one day and he said, Pastor, no one has any idea of what has been surging through my soul. He said, where the school is uh, that I attend, there's a campus. And I sort of trip across the campus as though I hadn't a serious thought in the world. And he said, none of the teachers have any idea that my heart is crying out to God. Consequently, they have no sympathy for me whatsoever. He said, but when I go back into my dormitory room, I fall on my bed and I sob out my cry to the Lord. He said, I feel so unworthy. I don't dare to look up to God with my face down on my pillow. I sob sometimes for an hour and sometimes for two hours. I get up from this position. I wash my eyes out. I walk across the campus. No one has any idea of the battle that is going on in my life. But he said, I want to tell you, since you've been presenting the love of Jesus Christ, something has been taking place in my heart. I've been responding to this love, for, for I didn't realize that, that God was this kind of a, of a God. Uh, it seemed before that he was sort of a monster, looking down his nose, trying to find where I'd made a mistake here, where I'd erred here, where I'd sinned here. And he said, only as you have come and presented this, this love of God, has my soul responded. He said, would you tell me a little more about how to give my heart to Christ? I shared with him the simple plan of salvation. All are sinners. And being sinners, the wages of sin is death, and we all deserve death. But Jesus, our creator, came down and tabern tabernacled in humanity. He lived the life of purity and obedience. 
and he died on Calvary, the second death, in my place. And now he offers me his eternal life. He said, if you come confessing your sins, I will forgive you freely. I will cleanse you from all iniquity. And your page is as white as though you'd never sinned. So you can come saying, Lord, forgive me. And I will forgive. I will cleanse. I will give you freely of my salvation and my life eternal. The young man fell on his knees with me in the study. He cried out to God, and he said, Oh, Lord, forgive me. And the Lord did forgive him, and the Lord did cleanse him from all unrighteousness. It was the love of Jesus Christ that accomplished this work. This is that for which the Sabbath stands, the seal of love. As the Creator burns, uh, beams His love into the human heart, the heart melts. While this young man was learning of the love of the Lord, many of the teachers on that school campus were learning to turn from the mark of the beast principle, which had to do with belittling him. Any form of pressure, you see. So, friends, while they were gaining the victory through Jesus Christ over the wrong principles. He was gaining the victory over the devil's deception concerning the love character of Jesus Christ. This is the law of love found in the law of God. Let me share with you another experience. It happened in the West Indies when my wife and I were ministering in one of those islands. There was a young lady who had fallen into sin. She was a member of our church family. Uh, our official board met one day, and various members suggested that her name be dropped from the church records. And I thought I detected a little coolness there, and I am ashamed to say a little sanctimony. It was as though they were saying, you better sin the way we sin, or you better stop sinning. And as I looked into their countenances, and I thought of a poor lamb of the fold of God who had slipped and lost the way, I said, friends, don't you think before we strike her name from our church records that it would be well if we would visit her and show her the love of Jesus Christ. And I noticed there was a reluctance. You see, they had partaken of the mark of the beast principle. And as I continued speaking and telling them of the love of Jesus Christ, and perhaps this young lady had never known how to repent. Maybe she had never really found the love of Christ. Why not give her the opportunity first? And reluctantly, they consented to wait before they would uh, strike her name from the records that I could go over and pay her a visit. So I jumped in my car. I went down the road, came to the little shack where she was, parked my car, ran up in the front porch and knocked. Her sister came to the door. I said, uh, is your sister here? She said, no, Pastor Coon. I said, uh, is she very near here? Yes, she's up in the cocoa grove. I said, look, I'm going to make a little visit and I'll return in perhaps a half an hour 
Do you think she'll be back soon? She said, yes, Pastor Coon, I'm sure she'll be back very soon. And it dawned over me that maybe her sister had seen me coming. And she was ashamed to greet me, and so she'd taken off. And I said, uh, was your sister here when uh, I came up the front walk? She said, yes, Pastor Coon, she was here. I said, uh, do you think maybe she left because she saw me coming? She said, I think so, Pastor Coon. I said, look, when she comes back into the house, will you say to her, Pastor Coon was here? And he said to tell you that he didn't come to scold you. He is not going to belittle you, but he'll be back in about a half an hour. And he wants to see you. She said, yes, Pastor Coon, I'll tell her. So I went out and made another visit, and then I returned. As I knocked at the door, the sister came again. I said, uh, is your sister here? She said, no, Pastor Coon, she's not here. And I thought I saw a rather strange look in her eyes, and I said, uh, has she been here since I was here last? She said, yes, Pastor Coon, she's been here. I said, uh, could it be that when she saw me returning that she slipped out of the back door? She said, yes, Pastor Coon, that's what happened. I said, look, I'm going out and make another visit. When your sister returns after she sees me leave, will you give her a very special message from me? She said, yes, Pastor Coon, I will give her a message. Will you tell her that I shall return in about a half an hour, and I am not going to return to my home until I've seen her and prayed with her? And will you add that I have emphasized that I will not scold her. I will not condemn her. She is God's child. She loves the Lord. The fact that she's made a mistake doesn't mean that God's turned her off. Will you be sure and explain that to her? I must see her. My heart will not let me return until I've brought her courage and hope. She said, yes, Pastor Coon. So I went out and made another visit. When I returned and knocked at the door, the sister came again. Is your sister here now? I said, hopefully. No, Pastor Coon. Has she been here since I was here before? Yes, Pastor Coon, she has been here. When she saw me coming, did she take off again? Yes, she did, Pastor Coon. Do you have any idea why she went? Yes, I do. She went up in the cocoa grove. Look, you know how I feel toward her. You know the sympathy that there is in my heart for her. Would you do me a favor? Would you guide me up to where she is? Yes, Pastor Coon. So she led me out of the back door, up through the cocoa grove, and then there was a clearing, and then beyond there was another cocoa grove. We went through the first cocoa grove, we went up into the clearing, and then we saw her sister, maybe 300 feet away. And when the sister saw us coming and she realized what I had said to her sister, that I only had hope to offer her, only sympathy, only love, my friends, there came from that girl's voice the most lamentable cry. Talk about a lost sheep. She cried out and sobbed to realize that people loved her enough not to turn our backs on her. As her sister and I walked up to where she was, I placed my hand on her shoulder, <clears throat> and I want to tell you the tears were, had just covered her cheeks. She was still sobbing. She could hardly control her grief. I said, Sister, 
the Lord has freely forgiven you. These tears, these sobs represent your repentance. They represent your confession. They represent your heartbreak. And God has said, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And I said, now we're going to reach up and thank the Lord that he's forgiven you and he's cleansed you from all unrighteousness. You're still his child. Oh, my friends, how she thanked me again and again that we didn't turn from her and the Lord didn't turn from her. She was still his child. For the Lord had said in Hosea 14:4, I will heal your backsliding. I will love you freely. Mine anger is turned away. Friends, the Holy Sabbath day stands for God's creative power. And his creative power is manifested in us today by creating in us who profess to serve him love hearts. Hearts of sympathy and tender regard for the erring not to stand back like a Pharisee and say, God has rejected you and so have we. Oh, no, no. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to our own way. And the Lord laid on Jesus Christ the iniquity of us all. And the least we can do is to say, Lord, since I have sinned and Jesus died for me and he revealed his love to me, may that same creator love so saturate my heart that every sinner with whom I come in contact will recognize the rays of creative love. This is what the Sabbath stands for. Perhaps we should share with you one more experience. It took place many years ago. We're conducting a series of meetings in Binghamton, New York, in the Kalura Temple. One day we're invited to a lady's home and she said, I would like to find deliverance. She had first met us on a parking lot. I'll never forget. We were parking our car, and there I saw a lady parker, or parkress. <laughs> and uh, she was so gracious and so winsome that my wife and I were attracted to her. And we said, thank you so much. When we came to get our car, she was so kind. Thank you very much. She said, you're welcome, Pastor Kuhn. I said, you know me? Oh, yes, she said. I'm attending your meetings regularly at the Kalura Temple. Oh, I said, I'm happy to meet you. And then her face sobered. She said, Pastor Kuhn, would you do me a favor? Would you come over to my home some night? I have a real problem. And somehow I have a feeling that you can share with me the solution. So we set up the next Thursday night, <coughs> pardon me, that we'd come to her, to her home. As we walked into the home, we noticed a man sitting there with a face like marble. I didn't know whether it was her husband or not. And she began to explain her problem. She said, my problem is smoking. She said, I've been smoking for many years. Now, friends, I don't belittle a person who smokes. There are many, many things in this world that are far more detestable to God than smoking. Sanctimony, for instance, is one of the most incurable of all, all mistakes that humanity can make. But he was this little habit of smoking. Though it was little, it had, it had caught her like a vice. And she said, since I've been listening to your messages, somehow I feel that there's an answer. I said, yes, there is. And I gave her, in effect, what we've been sharing with many of our friends for years, the ABCs of prayer in principle.
I said in Matthew 1.21, we have a promise that Jesus will save his people from their sins. So we're going to kneel down and we're going to use the ABCs. We're going to ask God to save you from that habit because you want him to. We're going to take him at his word and believe that he's doing it, as he's told us to do in Mark 11:24. Then we're going to thank him that we've received as Jesus did at the grave of Lazarus, and it's found in John 11:41. And as I was sharing with her some experiences of others who had found deliverance through Christ, I noticed this man was standing there, sitting there, and he was looking at me without blinking an eye. In fact, he looked to me as though he was maybe angry. His face took on a sort of a pugilistic stance as I interpreted it. Little did I know what that face really represented. And then finally I said to the lady, my wife was there with me, I said, now we're going to kneel and we're going to ask God to deliver you. We're going to thank him for delivering you because we believe that he's done it. And then a very peculiar feeling came over me. I've never had such a feeling before in my life that I recall. The man looked so sort of pugilistic that I thought to myself, I wonder if this man is about ready to hit me or maybe to, maybe to shoot me. <laughs> and I said to myself, I'm going to smoke this man out before I kneel. <laughs> and so I turned to him and I said, uh, as we pray for your wife, that God will deliver her from this thing from which she has asked for deliverance, wouldn't you like to, to have the Lord deliver her? And I can never forget how he looked. He still had the same expression, but he did this, just like that. Now I knew that he wasn't going to shoot me on my knees. And then the Holy Spirit impressed me. Ah, the reason why this man is looking so serious is that maybe he is thinking, Lord, could you deliver me too? So I said, brother. God is going to answer our prayer for your wife. And as I knelt in prayer, I began to talk to the Lord about his wife. And I said, oh, and dear Lord, as you deliver this dear lady, maybe her dear husband is crying out to you for deliverance in some area of his life. And if so, dear Lord, meet out to him the very longing of his heart for he is going out in deep love that his wife will be delivered. His heart is so tender and so sympathetic. Lord, will you reward him for his sympathetic attitude toward his wife's deliverance? And will you reward him by giving him deliverance over anything that he needs? When I rose from my knees, this man walked over near me, and he made a motion, follow me. He walked out into the kitchen, and I followed, and my wife followed, <laughs> and his wife followed, and he reached into his pocket, he took out a pack of cigarettes, and he put them at the stove, one of those old-fashioned stoves, and he said, as he looked at me, he said, that's the end. Then he walked over to the refrigerator, he opened the door, he reached in, and he took 
several bottles, one at a time, of you can guess what. He walked over to the, to the sink, and he poured one down the sink, and then another, and then another, and then the last one, and he turned to me and he said, that's the end of that. My friends, that man became a regular attendant at our meetings. Several weeks later, <laughs> it was my blessed privilege to baptize brother and sister Brenchley in that little baptismal font in the Binghamton Seventh-day Adventist Church. I cannot tell you, my friends, the surgings that came through my soul. And I thought to myself, you can look away from this hour. This is but a baptistry. Someday, by God's grace, I'm going to see that couple walk down beside the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, because God had given me, unworthy though I am, this love seal that sympathized with these dear people and brought to them the delivering power of the Creator. No one could have given me this attitude of sympathy except the Creator. I am not naturally that sympathetic. My friends, our hearts are naturally hard, bitter, pharisaical. Several months later, my wife and I returned to that church. As I was uh, sitting on the rostrum, the pastor said, now the morning offering will be received by the deacons. Who do you suppose was one of the deacons? Brother Brenchley. As I saw him coming up the aisle, I felt like rushing off the rostrum and throwing my arms around him. And again, I said, oh Lord, what a day it will be in eternity, in the new heavens and the new earth. If I could just sit back in a corner of Gloryland and see Brother and Sister Brenchley walking down the streets of gold beside the river of the water of life as clear as crystal and know that the seal of love took over in their hearts and now they have eternal life. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord, that every viewer today may drink in of this same seal of love and you're saying, come unto me. I will give you rest. Thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.